Did they understand that their king was first a suffering king before a conquering king? Did they know that the crown of thorns had to precede the crown of glory? That the cross had to come before the throne? Were they praising Jesus in faith, looking forward to the future victory? In our text for this morning from the book of Hebrews, we come to this same question. The question that every Christian must ask at some point in their life. If Christ is the King, then why is the world still filled with hardship and suffering? As Jesus hanged upon the cross a week later, the crowds must have thought, if Jesus is truly our King, why is He being put to death? The recipients of the letter to the Hebrews must have been asking, if Jesus is truly sovereign, then why are we continuing to undergo persecution? And today, we continue to ask the same question. If Jesus is truly ruling over this world, then why does this world continue to be chaotic and unjust? If God is in control, why does evil continue? In verse 8 of our text, we'll read, He left nothing outside of His control. Nothing is outside of His control. But it doesn't feel like everything is under control, does it? When you watch the news, when you live out your daily life, there seems to be a lot of things that are out of control. The events of this past week in Nashville, Tennessee have hit particularly close to home for me and for many parents and grandparents in our community. I've personally lamented in tears and frustration on behalf of my fellow pastor and for all of those who lost loved ones. And I've been filled with emotions of anger and helplessness and questioning. And I have again had to ask myself, Are you willing to follow a king who rides a donkey? Because in such times, I want a king who is riding a war horse. I want the king who rules with a fist of iron. I want a king who ensures that such tragedy will never happen again. So how do we go forward? How do we face the real evil and horrific chaos that is still a part of this world and still proclaim that Christ is King? How do we have the cross in view and still say, Hosanna? How do we say that nothing is out of His control when this world feels like it is so full of chaos? That is, how do we have faith to follow a donkey-riding king. Well, here now, the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. 
at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. Father God, we gather together on this Palm Sunday when we rejoice and we proclaim that your Son Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, in which we glory in His kingship. And yet we also are a people who continue to suffer, continue in a world that is filled with sin and brokenness and hardship. And so we pray that you would speak to us words of comfort and assurance, that you would speak to us, that we might be encouraged to continue to look to Jesus Christ as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So again, the question that we are asking is how is it that we follow a donkey-riding king? That is, a king who comes in humility and lowliness. Well, the first thing that we must understand and we must have fixed in our minds if we're going to follow this king is a vision of the coming future. That is to say, any faith in Jesus as the Sovereign Lord must be oriented to a future coming reality. And this future reality is where we begin in verse 5 of our text. If you look down there at verse 5, again it says, For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. In chapter 1, it's established that Jesus is the sovereign king of all of the universe. That God the Father is submitting all of his enemies under the feet of Jesus Christ. And the main point concerning the reign of Jesus is made here in verse 5, where the author explains that no other being who wields such control over the earth exists. It is Jesus Christ alone to whom God has subjected the world to His rule and authority. Jesus alone owns the rule of this world. And yet there is a clarifying and important point that's made here. For the righteous reign of Jesus has been established, and as Lord, He is sovereign over all things, nevertheless... The fullest expression of His righteous reign is a future reality. Again, it says in verse 5 that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. He has subjected the coming world to Jesus. You see, Christ has defeated sin by His death on the cross. Christ has defeated death by His resurrection from the dead. Christ has defeated all spiritual powers by ascending up into heaven. 
And Christ is currently reigning over all creation as He sits at the right hand of God. However, we are awaiting the fullest expression of His reign when He comes again. We are waiting for sin to be completely destroyed. We are waiting for death to be no more. We are waiting for all injustice to be made right. Now we need to be clear on this. God is sovereign over all things now. Presently. But not in a way that no evil exists. Rather, He is sovereign in a manner in which evil will come to an end eventually. He is sovereignly moving His creation toward a future where evil will be expelled. And this is how we follow such a humble King as Christ. We believe that one day the lowly animal, the donkey, will be replaced By a horse of war. And that our humble king will come as a conquering Lord. We believe that a day is coming when the words of Revelation 19 will finally come to pass. As the Apostle John wrote, Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on His head are many diadems. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which He is called is the Word of God. And from His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of of lords. You see, this is how we can presently follow a humble donkey riding king that goes to the cross because we believe that one day the donkey will be replaced by a white horse of war. We believe that when he returns, he will come and execute judgment. That on the day of His visitation, the fury of the wrath of God against evil will be tread out and justice will be established. Even as the old hymn says, Mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Have your eyes seen the coming of the glory of the Lord? Because that is the only way that you will be able to follow such a humble king presently. We cannot unmoor Christianity from its future-oriented vision. We will not faithfully follow King Jesus if we abandon where He is taking us. Because there will be victory. There will be rightful vengeance. There will be wrath poured out against evil. But it is not ours to enact presently. For vengeance belongs to the Lord. And it is not for this day. For He has a day when He will come and bring vengeance. Now sometimes we can get a little bit uncomfortable when we start speaking about the wrath and the vengeance of God. 
Sometimes we think that this sounds too hateful and it might lead to violent outcomes. But it is the exact opposite. For it's only when we have faith that God will enact such vengeance that we are freed as a people to live in peace. That the judge of all the world will do what is right and it is not our burden to enact vengeance against those who bring evil into this world. And this future reckoning will finally settle all accounts. Why is it that Jesus comes first as a humble king? Why could He submit Himself even to the point of death Because he was looking to the future and he trusted in the future victory that was to come. He believed that after the cross came the crown and after submission came his kingdom. And you need to have this future oriented vision of your life because you're never going to take up a cross. You're never going to love your enemy. You're never going to be willing to forgive wrongdoing. You're never going to understand persecution or tragedy or suffering if you do not first have a vision of the future in which King Jesus makes all wrongs right. In which all sacrifice will be repaid. In which all injustice will be punished and all righteousness rewarded. We must have this future vision and leave vengeance to our God. Even as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 10, for we know Him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. You see, if we would follow Jesus as King presently, this humble, donkey-riding king now, then we must have a vision of the future in which His reign of justice will be fully enacted, even the world to come. You see, we do not presently need a day of vengeance as our enemies do, for there is a future day of vengeance that belongs to our God. To follow our humble King, we must begin with the future. We need first and foremost to know where we are going. And we are going to the world to come, the city that is to come, the city where the King rules and there is no longer sin or pain or death for the former things will have passed away. We are going to a new heaven and a new earth in which the reign of Jesus means that we will be freed from all the brokenness of this world and we will finally be able to fully enjoy God forever. However, we do not only need a future vision to be able to presently follow Christ. We also need to understand how we got to this point. We need to understand our past. And this is where the author goes next. Look at verses 6 through 8. He says, It has been testified somewhere, that's Psalm 8. It wasn't that he didn't know where this was written. This is just a way of introducing Scripture. He says, It was testified somewhere, it's Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? 
or the Son of Man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Now, here the author returns to Scripture to make his point, as he has been doing throughout the first two chapters of Hebrews. And what he does is show that man was created to reign over this world, to be in control. In Genesis 1, we read of man's creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. That is, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock And over all the earth. Man was created in the image of God to exercise dominion over everything. That is to say, Adam was made to be the king. And he was to reign according to the will of God. He was to tend and to keep that which God had entrusted to him. And God made a promise. If you obey, then your righteous dominion will bring life to all of the world. And all of your progeny, all of your children will live in the blessing of life. But if you disobey, then you will bring a reign of death upon this world. Nevertheless, Adam chose to rebel against God. He chose to break the Lord's command. And instead of ruling over this world to foster life through his rebellion and transgression, he introduced death into this world and death spread to all. You see, God gave dominion. He gave control and rule and authority over this world to humanity. And humanity chose to disobey God and therefore death entered into this kingdom. Man was given dominion and the result was brokenness. And this brokenness has spread to all of us. Every single human being has inherited Adam's guilt and his propensity toward sin. We call this the doctrine of original sin. But it's not just an obscure doctrine. It's the reality of each and every one of our lives. Mankind as a race has fallen from his original glory and currently dwells under the power of death. Why is there pain and hardship now? Why is there cancer in school shootings now? Why is there oppression and war and tornadoes now? Because man exercised his dominion toward death and not life. There's a reason that every utopian dream has turned into a dystopian nightmare. There is a reason that every king eventually tends towards a tyrant. Because the heart of the problem is not the kingdom. It is the king. And it is not the system. It is the man. The first lie that any potential tyrant must convince his victims of 
is that man is essentially good. And therefore, the answer to evil is the remaking of the system. It is a revolution in which structures will be enacted that take man who is essentially good and perfect him. But the answer to the wickedness in this world is not something that lies external to man, but it is man's heart itself. When we look at the corruption in our nature and we wonder what the answer is, essentially the answer comes down to the need for the heart of man to be reborn by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And any other answer will not lead us to where we need to go. Because man is wicked and his power must be restrained. There is no savior amongst the race of men. There is no salvation in political revolution. At best there is a restraint of evil and a check on the reign of death. And this is how we follow a humble, lowly, donkey-riding king. When we want the warhorse king, we look in faith and see that Jesus Christ alone is the only one who has refused the temptation of sin. We see that Christ alone is righteous and untainted by wickedness. There is none who are good but Christ alone. But until we know the brokenness of our past, we will not follow the right King presently. Because we will believe that there is some Savior among us. We will believe that someone will rise among us and lead us to where we need to go. But there is not. There is only one Savior. And He is the King who rode upon a lowly, humble donkey 2,000 years ago. Now, one of the most difficult aspects of our passage for this morning is to understand how the author is using this quote from Psalm 8. It's clear that at the beginning of his quote of Psalm 8, he's speaking about mankind in general. He's speaking about the creation of Adam and the dominion that has been given to mankind. We understand that uh, even better if we go back to the original uh, statement that's made in Psalm 8. We see that he's speaking about man in general. However... By the end of his statement, it's clear that he's speaking of Christ. But when does he transition? What verses apply to humanity and which verses apply to Christ specifically? Well, as we pursue an answer to this, it seems that the author is making a subtle but important point through his ambiguity. Namely, that Christ has joined himself to the human race in such a manner that he fulfills the role that was originally intended for Adam. That is, Christ humbled himself and became lower than the angels for a time in joining himself to humanity and exercised dominion in the way that the first Adam was supposed to. That man was created in the image of God to reign over everything, but fell from that call by their sin. However, Christ has come as the second Adam to do what the first Adam and his children could not. Listen again to verses 8 through 9. It says, 
now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Now, at this point, we're still understanding that this is speaking about humanity in general. And so it says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Right? Right now, there's chaos. It doesn't seem like everything is under control. Our eyes presently see chaos. But now comes the transition. We do see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It does not become clear that Jesus is in view until we get to verse 9. That there is a contrast, that we don't see everything in subjection to man, but we do see Jesus Christ who died. We do see Jesus Christ who was raised. We do see Him who has been crowned with glory. And when we see Him, all of a sudden we look back on verse 8 and we realize that all that humanity was supposed to be is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that He is reigning. And that He is ruling. And that because of our fallenness, He had to die on our behalf to establish the righteous reign of God that He will bring about when He comes again. And this is the third way that we follow this humble donkey riding King. We see that He perfectly fulfills all that man was intended to be. Presently, we don't see everything in subjection to the righteous rule of God because sin is still playing itself out. But what we do see is that Jesus joined Himself to man, became a little lower than angels for a time, humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, and then rose from the dead and was crowned with glory and honor. It takes faith presently to follow King Jesus because we have to turn our eyes from the reign of death that humanity has established to the reign of life that Christ has established. To turn from what we presently see, sin and chaos and murder and anger and lust and malice and the like, and look to Jesus and His love and humility and sacrifice on our behalf. We must have faith in what verse 9 says. That Jesus came as the perfect fulfillment of what man was created to be and then went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. That He tasted death on behalf of His people to drive death out of this world so that whosoever would follow Him as King must no longer taste death themselves. And the question you have to ask yourself, is do I trust in the reign and the rule of the first Adam or the second? Do I look to man and his ingenuity and his political power to give me salvation? Or do I look to the humble King, the Lord Jesus Christ, who offered His life as a sacrifice on my behalf to destroy the reign of death and establish the kingdom of life? This week, we will rehearse this final week of Jesus' earthly life as we celebrate Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. 
But we begin this morning by remembering the events of Palm Sunday. And we will continue onward following this humble king all the way to the cross and then to the glory of his resurrection. But to follow this king along this path, you must have faith. You must have faith because presently we don't see everything in subjection to him. We see death and pain. We feel anxiety and fear. We want to enact vengeance and wrath to establish justice by our own power. But when we look to His life, to His death, and to His resurrection, we know that we must follow this King. For He alone will bring righteousness through His obedience. He alone will bring peace through His just judgment. He alone will bring life through His death. His resurrection, and ultimately through His coming kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus, we come to You, and we ask, O Lord, that You would give us faith to take hold of the truth of the future reality in which you, according to your righteous judgments, will establish your kingdom. And that you will receive us into such kingdom not according to our righteousness, but according to your grace alone. We pray that as we currently walk in this world, in which we do not see all things in subjection to You, but we see pain and hardship and struggle and death, that You would give to us the grace to see ourselves as sojourners, knowing that here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.